0: Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Praise be to God. We're here again. Another beautiful day in my home in McKinney, Texas. I want to welcome every one of you coming from SoundCloud and all over the world or wherever you're coming from. And I want to welcome everybody that's coming to my home for church. God bless you. And praise God. Praise God. I'm glad you're here. And I'm thankful that God's given us another beautiful day to worship Him and and know Him and, and hear His word again. If you guys uh, want to join me, we're going to pray real quick to open up the service and then we're going to continue on and do what God called us to do here, keep preaching the truth. So, Lord, we just uh we come to you today again, Lord, and we just want to thank you and love you and I tell you we love you for a new beautiful day that you've given us, Lord, and we ask you to help us to understand your word today, Lord, and help us to understand what you're trying to say to us here, Lord, and God, your word is so important, Lord God. Not only to our physical lives, Lord, but to our spiritual lives. Lord, you have the words to eternal life, and where else can we go? So, Lord, we just thank you for your word and all the different truths and all the awesome, powerful truths that were that are in there, Lord. And we ask you to bless this time together, Lord, as we sit and listen along. And, and I pray we'd be students of your word, and not just hearing it, but you know, doing it, and and even studying it as well too, Lord. Not nobody at all that's ever listened to me lord do i expect just to just hear me and just accept what i say and that's it lord i pray that they would be good students of the word and go forth and and see if what i say is true lord and not just take because there's so many people out there preaching your word lord so i just pray for all of us lord that we would all be good students of your word and constantly studying and and focusing our lives on you and what you have to say lord and we just uh, ask that you bless this time together lord and and continue to bless our lives with your presence, Lord. And if you're not, Lord, I pray you would bless our lives with your presence more. We thank you and we love you and we ask all these things and pray all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. So if you guys want to jump right in, we're actually going to be... Uh, last week we studied Matthew as we heard uh, our sermon in Matthew chapter 8, The Touch. Uh, today we're going to be in a, like a brand new... Uh, section we're actually not going to be we're not going to be in this book for but for just this sermon and uh, the Lord kind of put it on my heart I I just finished uh, second Timothy two weeks ago and we studied the touch of Christ last week Matthew 8 and I will go on to pick another book you know for our verse-by-verse teaching of the Bible but the Lord has been putting on my heart Acts chapter 17 this week actually this has been a sermon that I've been wanting to do for a very long time Acts chapter seventeen verses sixteen through twenty seven, and so that's what we're going to study today. As I said, this has been a a sermon; just a a, a, it's a topical sermon. It's not a verse by verse, but it will be from sixteen to twenty seven. I'll study all these verses in the Bible today. Um, It's just been a it's 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 one of the most powerful truths in all the Bible that God has ever shown me, And, and it's just again I just can't wait to teach, and I'm so excited this week i a little. I've got some allergies, so if you guys want to, please excuse me for those listening online. My voice is. Uh, I'm having a little struggle on my voice uh, this week, but I will speak as powerfully as I can. And I feel great. I just have some darn allergies. To, uh, allergies in Texas are really bad, so guys just bear with me. Um, in case you're wondering, because we had a, a different sermon last week, we will not have any thoughts from last week's message, and we will just jump right in. Uh, if you guys want to, if you've already turned Acts. Chapter 17, verses 16 through 27. I'm going to read along. You can either listen along with me or you can read together with me. Depending, it doesn't matter to me. God knows your heart. Just listen intently if you can't read along. Acts 17, 16 through 27. The Bible says, Now while Paul waited for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshippers, and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him. And some said, What does this babbler want to say? Others said, He seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods, because he preached them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine is, of which we speak, for you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear a new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious." For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with the inscription, to the unknown God. That's where we get our message today. That's where we get the title of our message today. The unknown God is our title of our message today. Therefore, he says, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined their pre times and their boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. A little bit of backstory before we study a lot of verses that don't apply to our main focus today. Right before this account here, Paul was preaching Christ in the city of Berea with Timothy and Silas. And some angry Jews come from the city of Thessalonica, where he had just ministered to attack him. The Jews were always against Paul, and he'd move on, they'd persecute him, he'd move on, he'd persecute him, he'd move on, they'd persecute him. And as he would preach, some people would believe, well, the Jews that came would stir up some of the people there and they would, you know, kind of attack him. And then he'd move on to another city, planting seeds for God, for the gospel in every single city that he went to. And here, this is what he's exactly doing here. Well, the Christians in Berea learn of this attack against Paul. And to protect him, they send him away to Athens, Greece by himself, where we find him in verse 16 today. And as I said right before this, in Berea, Paul was ministering with Timothy and Silas. They were like his travel companions. They were like his ministry buddies, we'll say. So in verse, but in verse 15, after he'd been sent away on his own, he still feels led like he's supposed to minister with Timothy and Silas. So what does he do? He sends for them to come for him in Athens. And as verse 16 just told us, while he waited for them, his spirit was provoked or you could say his spirit was stirred up within him, and I would say because of love, um, because he saw that the city, and not just the city, because who makes the city? The people make the city. The, the people of the city there were given over to idols. And you know, the Bible says, and Paul knew this, that if anybody is not a worshiper of Jesus Christ, the one true God of heaven and earth, then they're not on the right path and they're on their way to hell. So Paul's spirit was provoked within him because he saw all these people idol worshipping and then his spirit was provoked in him because of love and so he and so he knew they were headed to hell. And so and and by the way when Paul says that he was the city was given over to idols the people in the city I should say were given over to idols he wasn't kidding. If you didn't know Greece as a whole especially Athens was home to lots of different gods, which the people there had made statues of and altars to as well so that they could worship them. We can reference that in verse 23. We already read that. So here's what Paul saw that provoked his spirit of love within him. When he walked around Greece and he waited for Timothy and Silas to come, this is what he saw. He saw altars to and statues of the Greek gods of, and I'm not kidding, I'm not going to name them all because I can't pronounce them all, but this is a really easy search you can do. But the Greek gods, they the Greeks they worship lots of gods. They worship multiple, multiple gods. He saw statues to and altars to Zeus, Hera, Poseidon, Demeter, Ares, Athena, Apollo, Artemis, Aphrodite, Hermes, Dionysus, Hades, Hypnos, Nike, Janus, Nemesis, Iris, and a few others, like I said, that I could not pronounce. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was as he was walking through the city, which wasn't all that large. I mean, it was a large city, but it wasn't like, you know, Dallas or something like that. He saw somewhere around 21 or more statues of gods with altars that people would worship at to worship these false gods. Many of these, if you you know, we're listening along like Hades and Zeus and Poseidon and Artemis and, and uh these other gods. Many of them, as you know, are kind of well known in our kids' shows nowadays and in our you know, if you if you look at some of the, the uh the cartoons that they have out there where they have, they they focus on these these gods, these Greek gods, and they make you know shows about them and about their powers and things like that. But anyway can you see now, with around 21 different gods and altars to these gods in this city where he was in, why Paul's spirit of love or spirit within him was provoked within him? The people there worshiped these false gods and they were headed to hell because of it. And Paul loved them and he wanted them to be saved. And of course, not only was his spirit of love provoked within him because he loved these people, but this would also have been a very big shock to Paul as he was a Jew and Jews are mano theistic which means that they only believed in one god so of course paul here is seeing these these multiple 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 gods all over the place and of course each god would have multiples of worshipers dozens hundreds of worshipers you know that's what that's what they did in the city it's, they kind of that was their ritual that's what they did how we go to the grocery store and how we go to the bank or how we go to you know we go to the movie theater these people just worship these false gods and so this is what he saw and believing with all his heart that there was only one true living God, Jesus Christ, the Savior of all mankind, what does Paul do because his spirit is provoked in love for all these lost idol-worshiping people who are out to hell? Well, verse 17, Therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. So what did Paul do? He goes into the synagogues. That's the whole day where the holy places of worship where his people, the Jewish nation of Israel, would have been worshiping uh, Jehovah and, and also the Gentile worshippers that were there. And he also went into like the grocery stores, what we'd consider the grocery stores today, the marketplaces. And what did he do? He did what I did for years and what I still do now occasionally when God leads me to, he just started evangelizing people. Hey, have you heard of my God, Jesus? He's a mighty God, and he's an awesome God, and, and he died for our sins, and he rose from the dead. And so he's preaching Jesus Christ, and he's preaching the gospel to these lost people there that are these, you know, idolatrous people, and he's He's trying to convert them and bring them to Christ. And, of course, he did it, uh, you know, he reasoned with them to turn them away from their worship of false gods and to the worship of the one true living God, of course, Jesus Christ, Now, Christians, Just a word for today, for us, okay? Those that are out there that are listening to me, that are born again, they love Jesus. You love Jesus. Not much, I have to tell you, we live in America here, but this goes for the whole world. Not much has changed in the world and in the time we live in today. Believe it or not, people are still worshiping many false gods. Now, I don't know many people that still worship Zeus or Poseidon or, or Hera or all these you know false gods of the Athenians, but we call our gods here in America and around the world by different names. The gods that we worship here nowadays, not not I, but the people of the land that I live in, the, peop- the gods that the people that I live in the land I live in worship gods called money. Gods called houses, cars, TVs, drugs, work. Uh, you know addiction to work and and all the things sex and prostitution and you know whatever you name it, all the things that they could have that please their flesh, those are the gods that Americans and the worldly people of the world those are the gods that they worship today, but people still worship them and they 're still headed to hell because of it, because you cannot worship the God of money, which is the devil, you can 't worship the God of things. Which is the devil, and still worship the God of heaven and earth. Jesus said, No man can serve two masters. He'll, only, he'll love the one and he'll hate the other. And so, and because of this, all these false gods that we see people worshiping around us, Christians, our spirit should be stirred up within us with love for these people. And we, ladies and gentlemen, should be trying to imitate Paul here. Because, guys and gals, there's still only one God. The God of money, he's going to spend his time in the lake which burns with fire forever and ever, forever and ever. Okay, he's he's going away someday, and money, it's perishing too, and cars and houses and the way people spend their times with work and and trying to get you know have sex with others and and commit fornication, adultery. That's all passing away too. But there's only one true living God that can save people from their sins, and so Christians. We must start reaching out to and reasoning with those around us that worship these false gods of the world to turn to Jesus Christ and be saved. Because money, money won't save you. Houses, big houses and fancy houses, they won't save you. Cars, they can't save your soul. Adultery and fornication and sex and lewdness, that won't save you either. Only Jesus Christ can save you and only Jesus Christ can save them. And so we must stop loving people in word only, but we must love people with our deeds. Not only doing kind things to them, letting our light shine for Jesus Christ, but we must also start to talk to people about Jesus Christ and about his redemption and about his salvation when we see those that are around us that are caught in idolatrous worship like the Athenians were just different gods, different day. Anyway, getting back to our message here. So, Paul's heart for these people in Athens is breaking desperately. And his spirit is provoked within him out of love. And because of this, he's obedient to the Great Commission. Remember, Jesus gave it Mark 16, 15. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, right? Well, as he is... We're going to read right now how God drops an absolute divine appointment right in his lap. Look at verses 18 through 21, and then I'll I'll point out some things. So verse 18 says, As he's doing this, as they hear him preaching the Gospels, they hear him preaching Jesus, then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, so some people that were used to the Areopagus, they kind of were some of the people that would go in there and kind of discuss different strange new topics and different gods and things like that. They encountered him. So basically, <laughs> what it means is, is they kind of heard, either they heard him, and I had this happen to me with street ministry where I'd be preaching to a few people and then some people would kind of come along and listen from the back. Or they encountered the meaning Paul actually was actually witnessing to them, trying to convert them to Christ. But either way, they encountered him. And some said, what does this babbler want to say? You know, they're just listening along and they're hearing about this resurrection stuff and this God that came down and loved mankind. He's just a And while others said, well, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. Um, And so they took him and they brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new doctrine is of what you speak. And for you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean for all the Athenians and their foreigners who were there, spent their time, and nothing else but either to tell and hear of something new. So they see him, they encounter him, they hear him, they're like, Hey man, hey, we got this group over here, this, this mass gathering of people. That You know what, dude, this is all we do all day long. We go over here and, and we talk about religious things, we talk about social issues, and you know what, we want to hear you. We want you not only to, we don't want you to just say what you said here, but we want you to go over here to this group of people that we kind of know, this this big mass area where we're kind of like a big park where everybody gathered together and they would discuss these things. And we want you to tell them too, because, you know, we want to hear, you know, this new doctrine. We, We never heard of this God that you're talking about. And so what really happened there? How does God give them a divine appointment? Well, what happened? Paul's preaching to a few here and there, like, individual street ministry whatever he could do all of a sudden god drops this divine appointment in his lap where these people say hey we want you to come over here and we want you to preach the gospel most of the time see they offered him the stage to preach most of the time with me in my 16 or 17 years as a christian that i've been in most of the time i've tried to talk to others about christ they shut me down you see that, I come up, yeah, you know, you know I, I, got, I, got, I got to do something. I just had it happen to me yesterday. I was trying to talk to, uh, to a guy about the Bible and the, the, just a few minutes or two I go along and all of a sudden he had to go. And so that, that's usually what happens to me. They shut me down. But right here, we hear some of the people that are finding, listening to Paul preach his God and they purposefully bring him to a place where a mass amount of people are to hear him talk to them about Jesus Christ. This was an awesome divine opportunity that God gave Paul. And what does he do with it? What does he do? He preaches a sermon. And boy, oh boy, what a message he preaches. He teaches them, and he teaches us some really awesome things about God. This sermon is where we will spend the rest of our time today. and We're going to read over verses 22-23, and then I'm going to go, just like I normally do, Verse by verse, verse 22, Paul says, or the Bible says, Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus, so he's, now he's there. He's been given the handle. He's been, hey, preach, man. We want to hear your sermon. How often does that happen again? Well, I just can't get over that. Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus, Areopagus, and he says, Men of Athens, I perceive in all things that you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with the inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. So he stands there, gets this divine opportunity. He stands there in the midst of this this mass amount of people, maybe hundreds of people even. okay. And he starts to tell them, he starts to open up his message and he says, Hey men of Athens, I can tell you are very religious. Wow, wait a minute. Paul called these idol worshiping people. Religious? Yes, he did. But it's okay, because guess what? The word religion just means the worship or devotion or service to a deity. And... These guys were just that. They spent their pretty much their lives in worshiping these false deities. And so they were very religious. And in verse 23, he tells them, and he says to them they're very religious because of all the statues and altars of worship that were there. Now, interestingly enough, it's right in the midst of this opening there that he starts to preach Christ to them, but he does it in a way that we might not expect. You see, before this, when they even brought him here, he was preaching the gospel, Jesus Christ, and the resurrection from the dead. But here he preaches the gospel, but he doesn't really preach the gospel. He preaches to them some interesting things about God, and he does it in a way that we might not expect. Why? Well, as I go go through this, as I read through this more, you're going to see that he never once, check this out, he never once uses the name of Jesus Christ never once. He never says, "Hey, I'm going to preach you Jesus Christ crucified. That's it. He died for your sins, repent, turn to Christ, you sinners, and that's it." And he never once does that. He never he does mention the word repentance, but but he doesn't really say what it even means, and he never once gives the full gospel. We're not going to read about it here, but he does mention the resurrection, but he doesn't give why and who Jesus Christ died for the sins. He doesn't give what happened in the resurrection or why Jesus Christ resurrected for sins. He only tells them some awesome and wonderful aspects about God and Jesus Christ. So right here in Paul's opening to a sermon, he tells them that they were so very religious and that they even worshiped the God that they knew existed, but they didn't even know his name. And so if you don't even know this God's name, of course you can't know who this God is. And so Paul said they were very religious. They even worshiped the God. They had no idea who it was. That's how religious these people were. Man, I mean this, they really were religious. They were religious in the wrong way, but they were very religious nonetheless. Okay. But look at what Paul tells them about their their unknown God that they worship without knowing. Look at verse 24. Look what he says. He says, God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of everything since he is Lord of Heaven and Earth, excuse me, does not dwell in temples made with hands. he starts out very broad he says, "Hey, this God you guys worship this unknown God that you worship that you don't even know hey man, he's the one guys that made everything he made everything you see in all the world he made it all and and you know what since he made everything. You and me, and he made everything in all the world. He doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. Hey, you know what? You can't make him an idol. You can't make him a statue. You can't make him an altar because you know what? He doesn't dwell there. He made everything. He's, he's, this God is so big. He made everything. You can't capture him with a stone image. You can't build a little altar to him and just, oh, I'm going to worship him. He's bigger than you can imagine. He, he's a massive God. He's a massive God. Paul states here what God says of himself in Isaiah 66, plus many other places throughout the entire Bible, Isaiah 66, 1, 2. God speaking to and through Isaiah of himself. He says, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me? And where is the place of my rest? For all the, those things, meaning all of creation, my hand has made. How big is God? <laughs> how big is God? God is bigger than you or I imagine. And you know what? I, I think we think we know how big God is. But what we can't considering, don't you consider this? We don't even know how far the heavens actually go. We don't know how deep space is. We have no idea. But we know one thing here. God says himself, hey, heaven, that's where I sit. Oh, does he sit all over? Yes, he's bigger than space. And earth, that's just where he puts his feet. He says, earth, that's my footstool. God is bigger than than any one of us can imagine. And Paul tells them that here. Hey, hey God is bigger, guys. You, you think you can and capture this God that you think you know and this little idol and this statue, this, this altar of worship, but you can't. He's bigger than anything that you can imagine. He's even bigger than the farthest reaches of space and the Earth. You know that. Hey, that's just where he kind of puts his toenails. You know, he kind of hangs his feet out there, and when he clips his toenails, they kind of you know fall down, kind of thing. I'm, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. But seriously, that's how big God is. Okay, and that's what He tells him. Read what He says next, and I want you to read it with all seriousness, because what He says here and next in verse 25 should humble you. It humbled me. It should humble you. And if it doesn't humble you, there's something wrong with you. Verse 25, he says this. He says he's so big and, he, and he's so massive, so he's not worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything. Anything. He doesn't doesn't need anything, right? Since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. When he says, or what does he say? He says, he tells them there, hey guys. This God that you worship without knowing, not only is He so big, not only is He so mighty, not only is He so large, He's so massive, but He doesn't need one person or one thing in all creation, one single solitary thing in all creation, including you, to exist, period, the end. For He is all-sufficient. He is the source of life. He's the provider to all. And he doesn't need any one of us to exist. He doesn't need anything you do to exist, or me. He doesn't need anything that you see for him to exist. For he exists, and he is all in all, the sustainer of all, the provider to all. He is this massive, awesome, mighty God. Wow. Paul says here that if nothing in all creation existed, speaking of whatever you could think of, angels, us, dogs, cats, planets, trees, stars, the moon, uh, whatever. You name it. Anything you can think of. Hey, if, if that didn't exist, God would still be okay. God would still exist for he is again, he's all powerful. He's all sufficient and he's almighty. Paul adds of God in Colossians 117, speaking of Jesus Christ, this unknown God here. He says, not only is he that big. But he's also, let me tell you this, in him, all things consist. What does that mean? That means that if God would say for one moment, and he'd say, you know what? I pull my power back. We would all scatter into billions and trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions, and trillions of matter of nothing in the middle, midst of a second. Because in him, by his power, we're all even kept together to look like what we do. The pulpit that I stand here, the recorder that I have here, this laptop that's in front of me, the couch that you're sitting on, the chair that you're sitting on at home. In his power, he keeps all those atoms together. So if he drew his power back, we'd all fly into nothingness. And we'd just be all zapped away. That'd be All a creation, not just us. So God is Almighty. All powerful. In him all things even consist or held together. Ladies and gentlemen, that's true power. That's more powerful than the most powerful car you've ever known. Most powerful car you've ever driven. The biggest house that you can imagine. The largest star that's in heaven. The largest sun or planet that exists. That's more power than all of that put together And he goes on, upon that aspect of God's awesome power to hold all things together, the ability to sustain all things, to create everything. Look at the first part of verse 26, where Paul says this, And, excuse me, he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of earth Now, in Paul's sermon, he starts out being very broad, telling them about their unknown God. But now he gets a little bit more personal, and he tells them what the Bible says in Genesis 3.20. Adam calls his wife named Eve because she's the mother of all living. Eve's name literally means life or living. And God made Eve. And through Eve, all life on earth exists. So God, in a sense, this unknown God of theirs, you could call him What Paul was really trying to say is, hey, he's your creator. Not only your creator, but all the people of the earth exist from him. Hey, you're kids. You're his kids. He's like your father. Uh, Paul even said that their poets even agreed. We're not going to get to it today, but in verse 28, Paul tells them, hey, even your poets say that God is your father. God is your creator. Hey, we're all children of this God, of this God unknown God, verse 28. But Paul doesn't stop there telling him some personal information about their unknown God. Read the rest of verse 26, where he goes on to say, not only is your father, not only is he your creator, but he also, check this out, guys, he's even more personal than you thought. He has determined there, and by there, all the peoples of the world. So God determined your, my, you're over there to the left. You're over there to the right. All the people around the planet. He determined he, our pre-appointed times and the boundaries of where we dwell. Think about this. God's our creator. God's our father. All powerful. Amazing God. Holds all things in by himself. But he pre-appointed, which means before the foundations of the planet... God decided what time period that you'd live in. Wow. And not only did he pre-appoint the time that you'd live in, that I'd live in, the people that live, Adam and Eve, Napoleon, you name it, Hitler, the Jews, you know, in the 40s, whatever, he pre-appointed the time that they were supposed to live on this earth. Wow. And not only that, Not only did he pre-appoint the time that we were supposed to live, so you're living now because God wants you to live now. That's what Paul just said. He pre-appointed the time period and the place that you're supposed to live. So right now you're living wherever you're living, Dallas, Texas, or Egypt, or Iran, or wherever. Hey, God pre-appointed you to live right there. That's what Paul just said. And he has determined all peoples in the world... Pre appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. And that's what that means. Now, that is intimate. That is a God who not only just set us in a play, but He also had, He's working right now in our lives. Whether we think it or not, He's working in our lives. Right now, this very moment. So their unknown God was not only great and powerful, holding all things together, with the ability to create everything, even being the creator father to all who lived, plus sustain life to all, needing nothing or anything or anyone to exist. But he also tells them that their unknown God is also responsible for creating and placing every single person whom he ever made since the beginning of all creation in certain time periods in history and even chose where they were to live. Wow. That means that God actually meddles in our lives. Wow. Maybe you didn't know this. Excuse me, I had to take a drink of my water. My voice is getting really hoarse. Maybe you didn't know this, but there are people in this world who believe that God just kind of, poof, started everything. And then he kind of, went away, and he just kind of looks down, you know, kind of like, oh, that's interesting, that's, that's neat, oh, wow, oh, look at, he did that, look at, like, like, God has nothing to do with what we are, or who we are, or how we live, or where we live, or nothing. He doesn't meddle in the lives of man, he doesn't do anything on earth, he just kind of sits in his heaven, and he kind of just, you know, lets us go, whatever happens, happens. Well, this, ladies and gentlemen, is definitely not the same unknown God that Paul is describing to them here. Moving forward here, there's a big question we must ask ourselves upon what Paul just says in the last part of verse 26. The question is why? Why does this awesome and great and mighty and powerful, all-sufficient creator God, who needs no one or nothing to exist, supplies all things to all people he created, he of whom holds all creation together by his great mighty power, why does he meddle in the affairs of mankind by deciding what time periods we would live in and even our geographic locations that we would live in as well? Is it because he's some evil God who elects or chooses whom he chooses to be saved and leaves the rest to just burn in hell with no choice? Or or because he loves to control us. Maybe he's just a you know he's just a just a control freak, you know, I gotta just I gotta control everything. Or or maybe God is just like this this guy who plays chess. And you know the the devil maybe he's the maybe he's sitting across from God and they're each playing chess and we're just the pawns and rooks and kings and knights maybe maybe that's why maybe that's why God put us where he put us when he put us there and where he put us where he put us right maybe maybe that's why well I want you to be the judge for yourself because Paul actually tells us why God does this with humanity why God meddles in our lives this much he says he says this, look at verse 27. Verse 27 he says, So that they, mean the people of the world, because remember, Paul's not talking to Jews here, which would be God's original elect people. Paul's talking to these Gentile worshippers of false gods. He says, so that they, people of all the world, should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each One of us. Yes, you heard me right. Paul just told them and us that this unknown God, known to us by Jesus Christ, actually desires, not forces us, to know him in a personal way. I said, is God evil? Does he do these things because he's evil? Well, Paul just told us that he's not evil. And why was he not evil? Because here he didn't say that he put us in these certain times, he put us in these certain places so that we absolutely have to choose him. We absolutely have no choice. Hey, God put you here in McKinney, Texas in 2016 because you were forced to worship him. You have no choice. Joe Schmo, whatever you whatever your name is, do it now. No. God says there through Paul, he says, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him because he's not far from every one of us. Now, I know earlier Paul preached that God didn't need anything or anyone to exist. And I told you that should be very humbling because it's true. God doesn't need anything to exist. Not you, not me, not the stars, not the planets, not the trees, nothing to exist. And again, God is all-sufficient and He is in need of nothing to exist. He doesn't need anything. But now... Paul just changed that. He kind of clarified it. Not really changed or clarified He added and he said, we just learned here that because even though God doesn't need us to exist, He desires us and even causes us to live in certain times in history and in certain geographic locations because why? He hopes, He hopes that you and me and all people Will grope for him, that will seek him, that will search for him. God, who are you, God? I want. I I know you. gotta gotta be real. I'm mean, looking at all this stuff. Who are you, God? So that we would seek and grope and search for God, so that we would find Him. Now, just like the other fact that I told you about, how God doesn't need us. That should humble the snot out of you. This here. Or that, I should say, that, that, should, that, that should be like, wow, you know, that is humbling. Well, this should humble the snot out of you to know that God, although he doesn't need you, he wants you. He doesn't need you to exist, but he wants you to know him like he knows you. Wow. That, ladies and gentlemen, should humble the snot out. Out of you And why does the Bible say that God desires us to grope for him so we can find Him so that we could have a personal relationship with Him? This is after all, one of the very reasons why we were created in the first place to have fellowship and relationship with Him and serve Him. If you look in early Genesis, I'm talking in chapters two and three, literally shortly after Adam and Eve were created, we read of God speaking personally with Adam. God didn't speak with Adam through a priest. God didn't speak with Adam through some some you know some mystic starry thing. God spoke personally with Adam and Eve. One on one did God speak with them. He provided for them. He showed them his provision. He gave them tasks. He, he had a relationship with them in a personal way. He gave them duties. They were to serve him. But nevertheless, God and Adam and Eve had a personal, intimate relationship together. Now, if that doesn't humble you, I don't know what will. Just think of it. I want you to think of it guy. I'm, 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 I'm working on here uh, the whole repeating thing. I've been told I repeat myself too much. But let me tell you something. When, when something's worth repeating, I have to repeat it. I want to tell you this. Think of this. The one who made all things, <laughs> even you and me, by whose unlimited power all things in creation are literally, literally held together, who gives sustenance to all, whom the heavens of heavens cannot contain, made you and I, listen to this, in a certain time period and in a certain place, not for any evil reason, but in the hope that we would grope for him so that we would find him so that we could have an intimate personal relationship with him where we could speak with him and hear him on a personal level like Adam and Eve did in an interactive and personal way wow wow that is powerful ladies and gentlemen that is powerful now Paul goes on in his sermon to talk about the resurrection and how all men you know are supposed to repent and come to know this God and stuff and so on and so forth but i wanted to just focus on here on this last section of Paul's sermon. I mainly wanted to focus on this amazing aspect of God where Paul tells them about in his kind of midst through his sermon, but the close of mine. Although this unknown God to them, known to us as Jesus Christ, doesn't need us to exist. Paul just told us today, and, and to me, one of the most powerful aspects of God in the entire Bible that he has created and is still creating people today for every single time period and location on the planet Earth because he hopes that you and me will seek him so that we can find him and have a personal relationship with him while we're alive in this body he has given us. To me, ladies and gentlemen, this is super powerful. (laughs) I could have titled the sermon, God doesn't need us, but he really, really, really wants us. But that would have been a really long title. But I could have titled the sermon that instead, because it's true. God doesn't need us, but he desires and longs for you to come to him, for you to. To know him. And of course, not only does he want to have a relationship with you now, he of course wants us to be saved from our sins and have eternal life with him forever in heaven, where we'll also have a relationship with him forever. Because that's what God's about. God's about relationship. He's not about doing all these ritualistic things or all this stuff that you think you have to do. He's about, first and foremost, having a relationship with every single person on planet earth. Now, I don't know where you are or where you're at, I should say, with this unknown God to the Athenians known to Paul and me as Jesus Christ today or even if you believe in him at all. Okay? Maybe you thought you're just listening to this message so that you could hear about the unknown God Paul spoke about to the Athenians. Okay? But this is really cool. God gave this to me and I'm going to just read it to you. This is really awesome. It doesn't matter why Or why you think you listen to this message today. Because I know from what Paul said today, I know from what we read today, that God created you and He put you here. (laughs) That's pretty cool, isn't it? In this time and place. Just to listen to this. So that you would seek and grow for Him. So that you would find Him and have an everlasting relationship with Him. And to me, that is awesome. That's just awesomeness. That he didn't force us, but he made us live in certain times and certain places in the hope that we would come to know him and have an intimate, personal relationship with him. Not only now again, but for all eternity as well. Wow. He's not taking away our choice to choose him. He's taking away our choice, not that we had one to begin with, to be born in a certain time or to be born in a certain place. So he's not taking away that choice because we didn't have it in the beginning with. But he gave us our choice to choose him or not to choose him. But he gave, he set up the board, you'd say, for us to win. (laughs) Wow. He set up the board of life so that we would win the grand prize of the game. He kind of, you would say, stacked it in our favor. Wow. God is not a cheater but He really wants us to win. Wow. You see, it is a choice. It's a choice to reach out, or well, God's already, I should say, reached out to you. It's a choice whether you want to reach back or whether you want to accept what He has to offer or whether you don't. See, God reached out to all humanity about 2,000 years ago, and He showed His love and devotion for you by sending His only begotten Son to die on a cross for your sins. To show you love, not just by His words, ladies and gentlemen, but to show Him, or to show you, I should say, by His actions that He loves you. This is what Jesus Christ did for you. And then three days later, He resurrected from the dead to defeat death, to offer eternal life, the defeat from death, to all who would come to Him. You see, that's what He did for us. He showed His love and devotion for us. But now it's our choice to either believe it and repent and turn to him, as Paul says in verse 30. And the Bible says, and to love him back, to give him our heart and our devotion and have the kind of relationship with him that he wants to have with us. Or that's what we that's that's one option. That's 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 the best option, I should say. Or, if you're in doubt about it all, maybe you are, about who this unknown God really is. Well, that's okay for this moment right now, but that's not how God wants you to still be. God wants you, again, what did Paul say? He placed you in this time, and in your geographic location that you live in, so that you wouldn't be ignorant, but that you would seek Him. That you would grope around for him, I, I know there's, I know, I just, I, where is he? I gotta, gotta find him. I know, I know, I just, I can't deny it. I know that there's a creator, but who is he? And he made you just for a certain time in history and place where you are. So that in verse 27, you should seek him in the hope, in his hope. Think about that. He's hoping that you might grope for him and find him. Because he's not far from any one of you. In my life, I, I used to be an atheist. Up till I was 25 years old, for a, a portion of my life I had become an atheist. And before I became like I was now, or like I am now, 16 or 17 years ago, I used to not believe at all. But then I started questioning in my certain time, and in my certain place that I lived. And I looked up in the heavens and I said, Man, how can all this just be? without anybody that put it there. And so I did here, not even knowing, because I had never read the Bible for myself, not even knowing what Paul said here, or what God through Paul said here, I started seeking and groping for myself to see if there was really a God. To see if there was really a creator, and if there was, who who was he? And you see, because I did that, God showed up. He's, again, he helps us if you want to seek, if you want to grope, he'll help you in the process and he'll help you win. He set up the board so that you can win. He stacked the board in your favor so that you can get the grand prize. All you have to do, you're saying in a kind of modern way, just play the game. Just grope him. Not that it's a game like it's oh ha ha, ha funny funny funny, but just do what he says. Growth for him. Seek him if you care, and then he, if you do that, will reveal himself to you. If you're not there yet and you're in doubt, would you? I want you to do something for me and for God. Okay, since we know now that God did this all, set up your life the way it is now in your time and place, so that you would do this. Would you please take Jesus at His word in Matthew seven seven, where He says? Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Would you start to pray and ask God if he's real? Hey, God, are you really there? Do you really exist? Like that guy said that I listened to from that SoundCloud the other day or whatever. Pray and ask him who he is. Maybe if you don't even believe, God, are you there? And, and if you're there, who, who are you, God? Who? are you and start to seek and grope for him maybe by also investigating in the Bible put some time in to read about this unknown God or this God that I'm reading about to you today maybe he's the God maybe maybe he's not but how are you ever going to know if you don't take him at his word and say God who are you God who are you I want I if you're there I, I, I want to know and would you do this with an honest heart as I did And would you give God a chance to be a man of His Word? Now, maybe you're His already, and you say you know Him, and you're abiding in Christ, and you love Him, but maybe you're just in need of God's help today. Maybe you're just in need of God's provision today. Maybe, like last week, you're just in need of God's touch today, struggling through a terrible situation in your life. Just don't understand what's going on, don't know it's life's crazy, I oh, man Lord, I put my trust in you, but I don't know my whole world seems like it's spinning out of control God i you know man, what is going on? well, then that same Matthew chapter seven that asks seek and knock goes for you too. if you cry out to God and you say, God, please help me." God, I need your touch, God, help me. I don't even know the help I need, Jesus. I just I just know I need your touch. I know I need your help. I know I need you to do something, Lord. Show up. Please help somehow some way. Then he will ask, seek, knock. He's a man of his word. God's word says that all who call upon him shall be saved. And that just doesn't mean saved salvation for eternity. That means saved from whatever you're going through now that you can't handle. God, save me from this situation I'm in. God, save me from the, oh my gosh, my boss is, is killing me, Lord. I don't know what to do to save me from this situation. Oh, Lord, there's family members that are ill, sick. God, please save me. I don't know what to do. Help me through this situation. And if you cry out to him with all your heart, then God will answer you, and he will do something. He promises, and he has done it for me, and I promise that he will too. Bible says in our closing verse of the day, Second Chronicles 16, 9, God says this, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. But that's for those that are really in with God, right? But what else does that verse mean? If you have a loyal heart toward coming to know who God is, coming to know if He really exists, and you set your heart to seek Him, His eyes are going to and fro throughout all the earth to look for you too. And He'll show up in your lives. Will you take Him at His word, and will you seek Him, or will you just go on another day and not play the board that's been stacked in your favor? so that you can win the eternal prize, the great prize, the great victory. What will you do? What what God's given you. God hopes and longs for you to start groping for Him and seeking Him so that He can reveal Himself to you because He loves you more than you can ever know. And and only those that are going to seek Him and going to find Him and going to go to heaven, I think only then will we really know how much God loves us when we see it in his very eyes, when we stand before him and we're there with him for all eternity. But he wants us to know close to that now. So will you take him up on his offer and start seeking him for whatever you're in need of in life so that you can find him, so that you can have an intimate personal relationship with him or a stronger one, or he can help you out of whatever situation, whatever it is, God wants to provide it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for... Your word, Lord. Thank you so much for Acts 17, Lord God. Thank you so much, Lord God. Wow, it just this is one of the most powerful sections of Scripture in all the Bible to me, and I just thank you, Lord God, for it. I thank you, Lord God, that you did all that you did, and now, Lord God, it's it's up to us, Lord. You put us where we're at in the in the time we're in, and where we live, and the country we live in, the state we live in, the house we live in, Lord, so that we would seek you in your hope, Lord that we would find you wow thank you so much lord god for meddling in our lives like that i pray you meddle in all our lives even more lord i know that word "meddle" is a kind of has a bad connotation in america but lord i i don't think of it that way now i hope and pray you meddle even more in our lives lord god And and reveal yourself to us even more, Lord, and stack the deck even more in our favor, Lord God, and spur on men's hearts as they listen to this message, Lord God, that they would seek you, Lord, that this message would inspire them, Lord God, to say, who are you, God? I want to know you, or who are you? I want to know your name. Reveal yourself to me, Lord. Just please, Lord, draw people to yourself continually, Lord. And I pray men's hearts would be provoked within them to come to know you. We love you and we praise you, dear God. Pray you keep working in our hearts and keep working in the lives of men to draw us to you. And we ask these things and we pray these things, all of them in Jesus Christ's mighty name.